0: are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hello and welcome in to the Locked On NBA podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Ben Beacon. I am the guest host of today's show, filling in for the incomparable Josh Lloyd. Honored and happy to be here. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves and excited to talk to a few different NBA, Locked On NBA hosts today. I'm going to start by talking to Chuck Mockler of Lockdown Clippers about the L.A. Clippers exciting game seven win over the Dallas Mavericks and peeking ahead to the second round series against the Utah Jazz. I also spoke with Mike Richmond of, of uh, Lockdown Blazers about Portland's first round exit, the mutual parting of ways with Terry Stotts, the uh, Jason Kidd as a candidate and now suddenly not a candidate, Damian Lillard's comments last week. And of course, the, uh, uh, the Stephen A. Smith. Carl Anthony Towns, Portland, quote unquote, rumor. I also talked to Philip rossman Reich of Lockdown Magic about the mutual parting of ways with Steve Clifford and what Orlando's offseason might look like as they start yet another rebuild. Let's go ahead and get to it. First, going to talk to Chuck Mockler of Lockdown Clippers. And of course, all of the playoff action, the road to the finals is brought to us by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Let's get to Chuck. All right, I'm here with Chuck Mockler of the Lockdown Clippers podcast to talk about the Clippers' big Game 7 victory over the Dallas Mavericks. How's it going, Chuck?
2: Going pretty good. A lot better than I was doing um, at one thirty, or excuse me, 12.30 Pacific time, but now I guess we can just be stressed out about playing the Jazz.
1: Yeah, you got a couple of days to, to think about it. So, well, I, I do want to get to that. I want to get to the Jazz matchup. Let's, I guess, open with the immediate reactions. I know, uh, obviously, y'all are going to cover everything over at Lockdown Clippers, uh, but Uh, I mean, I guess we have to start by talking about Kawhi Leonard. I mean, unbelievable. I don't have to tell you, but 32 points a game in this series. He shot 60, basically 62% from the field, 43% on threes, um, almost a triple double, 28, 10, and nine with four steals, zero turnovers in game seven. Um, What, I mean, what, what can we say about Kawhi that hasn't already been said?
2: I'm honestly not entirely sure. He was, I mean, you look at what he did in game six. And then to have, you know, anything left in the tank to play over 40 minutes um, and put up, like you said, almost a triple-double and taking care of the ball and wildly efficient in a game seven. And to help carry, you know, Paul George has not been shooting well from outside. So Kawhi Leonard has really had to step up in a lot of uh, regards for the team because he's not necessarily an outside shooter. And he was also doing it on the other end. He plays fantastic defense. He's been... I mean, everything advertised up to this point, and if you know, if you watch the Clippers, even if you don't, you understand that the Clippers go as far as Kawhi Leonard and Paul George will take them. And right now, Kawhi Leonard seems prepared to take them, I mean, hopefully further than they've ever been.
1: Yeah. And and I guess in putting the simplest terms, like you said, the the Clippers go as Paul George and Kyle Leonard do and the Mavericks go how Luka Doncic does. The difference, I guess, again, in in simplest terms is the Clippers have two of those guys and the Mavericks have one. And that was pretty much the difference. I mean, the Clippers dared anybody not named Luka Doncic to shoot the ball. The the Mavs couldn't make threes in this game. And that was that was a huge issue. Um, And I want to get into the differences between the Mavericks and the Jazz. Of course, there's many here in just a minute. Um, But one of the things that that the mavs did later in the series was they tried using boban at the five and starting him and playing he didn't even play in the first couple of games in the series um and i i couldn't help but think about the the what the jazz are going to try and do um you know against the clippers in the next round and I guess now I'm jumping ahead already, but, but basically, I mean, Gobert, I think had a 2020 game against the Clippers at one point in the season. And, and I think that that matchup, obviously Gobert's a lot better than Boban Marjanovic, but um, do you think that was kind of shades of what, of what Utah is going to try and do and, and try and dominate the game with physicality and the paint?
2: I think they are, um, you know, it's kind of, it's what they're really good at. And if you watch, you know, if people watched all seven games of this Clippers Mavs series, there was a bit of a, Lack of physicality from the Clippers. Um, I was really expecting to kind of not beat up Luca, obviously, but maybe be a little more physical just all around. I think the Jazz are going to draw that out of the Clippers for sure. But we saw earlier in the year when the Clippers went small against the Jazz for a very brief period to close out one of the earlier regular season games, and it worked phenomenally. So I don't think they can be too physical when they're small, obviously. I think we're going to see the ball moving. You know, from one side of the court to the other, very quickly, and try and you know just just space out that Jazz uh, defense. But I I think we'll see probably more Zubats in the second round because there will be more physicality.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because Zubats is is uh, that was kind of the the Clippers adjustment to the Mavericks adjustment was was his minutes shrinking as the series went on. Um, I, I jumped ahead on you. Anything else from from Game Seven or I guess the Mavs Clippers? series as a whole that that stuck out to you besides Kawhi Leonard you know maybe an unsung hero or or your you know who you'd want to shout out from that series from a Clippers perspective
2: I think I mean for game seven it was absolutely it's unbelievable that I'm about to say that Luke Kennard was very clutch for the Clippers in this game seven that's not something that I think any of us expected that's no disrespect to Luke Kennard everyone knows he can shoot but there has been some issues finding him in you know, spots in the rotation, but he came up huge in game seven. Terrence Mann showed why he's really valuable in this game seven and throughout the series. He lets the Clippers switch one through five. Marcus Morris finally found his shot, which is hopefully happening at the perfect time. And Nick Batum continued to show why he's maybe the most valuable vet, uh, minimum contract. And we had Reggie Jackson who gave us the full Reggie experience, which is elite shooting, kind of sketchy, everything else, but it worked out in the end. So there was a bunch of adversity. Um, this Mavs team is going to be an issue for the Clippers and for a lot of teams, you know, in the years to come, kind of in both these eras of these teams. So credit to the Mavs for, for a difficult game seven or just difficult series in general. But I'm really, I think it may be galvanized the Clippers in a way that, you know, playing slash choosing a different opponent wouldn't have had their, their back against the wall to really get checked in for what, you know, needs to happen in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, interesting way to look at it. Um, I, I do want to look ahead now, uh, go back to talking about the Jazz. Uh, one of the things that that I think you you alluded to all the different guys off the bench for the Clippers that contributed something, and that's something that certainly we didn't see from the Mavericks, that their depth didn't really show up in this series. And I think it's one of Utah's issues, and especially if you go to seven games in a series and there's adjustments being made game-to-game you know game, to game on a game-to-game game basis, uh, depth really matters. And, and And to me, it feels like, the depth advantage is on the side of the Clippers. And also if, if we're looking at supporting casts, I mean, obviously Donovan Mitchell, uh, has kind of, you know, a a co-star in Rudy Gobert, which is something the Mavericks didn't really have, but you look at, at a supporting cast in Utah, that's, you know, Conley, uh, Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson has been really good off the bench for them all season. Um, it's scarier than Tim Hardaway Jr. and Chris Porzingis and Dorian Finney-Smith. It's just a scarier group of, of players. And you talked about physicality and rebounding. Um, what worries you the most about the matchup with the Jazz?
2: Well, I would say that I don't think any Clippers fan uh, ever again will underestimate Tim Hardaway Jr. after what we saw him do in this series. Uh, sure. but for, the, for the Jazz, like I, I'm looking at the Jazz stats right now, and Jordan Clarkson is taking the second most field goal attempts on the team in the playoffs. And the Clippers are a team that have had a high-volume score off the bench before in the playoffs. And when they shoot 40%, like Jordan Clarkson is, sometimes that can lose you a game or two if it's just not there that night for them. Um, So I think the depth, I'm a little more worried about Joe Ingles um, in this series than I am about Jordan Clarkson, specifically off the bench and things like that. But I think the depth is there for the Clippers. A big issue with the Clippers is, is Serge going to be healthy? I feel way better about the Clippers in this series if we can have another body out there. We don't really know what Patrick Beverly's minutes are going to look like. He got... You know, he got 11 seconds, I think, in game six, and he got a DNP um, or close to it in game seven. So the Clippers kind of need some bodies. And if Serge is healthy, I feel a lot better about it because the the Jazz, you know, throughout this regular season, one of their, up until the end, one of their big advantages was health. So I'm hoping the Clippers have enough gas in them. But I think the depth, yeah, I think you're right. I think the Clippers have the edge there, especially with what we saw from um, Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann.
1: Yeah. And and you mentioned Joe Ingles. I mean, he didn't make, he made what one three in the last three games of that series against Memphis. So he's, he's been even towards the back end of the season. He was a little bit, uh, he was, I don't want to say he was cold. I mean, he still finished through shooting. I feel like he was almost 50. Yeah. He was what, forty five percent from three on the season. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but he struggled a little bit towards the back end of that series. But obviously not someone you want to overlook, given how well he shot the ball all season. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm really looking forward to this series. I think the matchup is going to be fantastic. I really want to see if the Clippers uh, basically what they were doing with Luca is just trying to to basically trap him, um, you know, in the pick and roll game and force other players to beat them. It, I mean, is that is that the recipe that they're going to try and use against Donovan Mitchell? And, and again, the supporting cast makes a difference. But, uh, you know, how do you keep him from getting downhill and, and really wrecking the game?
2: Well, the issue with, you know, if you're looking at Luka compared to, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Luca's a lot more dynamic in terms of passing. Right. Like Luka can have 15 or 16 assists and you're you know, your eyes go wide, but you're not necessarily shocked by it. Donovan Mitchell kind of has a triple-double. You're like, oh, wow, he was really – this was absolutely fantastic. And this is not to take anything away from how good Donovan Mitchell is. He's an elite scorer. Um, So if the Clippers – I think they can be a little more aggressive in terms of trying to stop that downhill-ness from Donovan Mitchell compared to Luka. Um, But, you know, that that Mitchell-Gobert pick-and-roll is a nightmare, and the Clippers have had kind of some shaky pick-and-roll defense throughout the season, which hopefully – you know when they go small they can kind of figure it out but it's going to be a chess match um you know Lu is really going to have to figure out how to counter you know the go bear minutes in terms of going big or small because go bear is basically the ultimate version of, of bogdanovich when you, or uh, marnyanovich when you really think about it right like so he can yeah. do so much more but he's just as big almost so it's really going to be interesting what Tylu does. He showed he can make adjustments in this series. Obviously, we had to, or things would have been a complete disaster. So I think Clippers fans can have some confidence um, in that aspect.
1: Great. Well, uh, Chuck, I guess, I'll, uh, I guess I'll put you on the spot. I don't know if you made a pick yet on lockdown Clippers or not, but any predictions at all uh, for the series?
2: Man, I, I think, and yeah, after what I saw today at Staples, I think the, I, I believe in the Clippers. They've, they've faced adversity, hopefully, they can step up the intensity without having to get you know punched in the mouth by the Jazz. Hopefully, they can just already be up and at them. But I think it's Clippers in six. I think it's going to be maybe just as difficult as this um, Maverick series for a whole bunch of different reasons. But uh, I, I think it's Clips in six.
1: All right, that's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, appreciate the time, Chuck.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: All right. Mike Richmond from Locked on Blazers is coming up next. First, though, you're the hiring expert for your company and what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three posts, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy with tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately plus Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times, that's 4x more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit credit at indeed.com slash locked indeed.com slash locked offer valid through june 30th terms and conditions apply hey let's also talk about built bar built bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time hands down tastes exactly like a candy bar if you haven't tried it first of all what are you waiting for second of all try a mix box you can get nine flavors of built bars there's nine amazing flavors my favorites of the nine mint brownie coconut and Salted Caramel. Again, if you haven't tried it, the best way to go is the mix box. You get two of each of the nine flavors, and then once you pick your favorite, get a box of Only that flavor, or you can choose three flavors in a box, so you get six of each flavor. That's also a great way to go. I have a box arriving this week where I did just that. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and just four grams net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Alright, I'm joined now by Mike Richmond, the host of Lockdown Blazers. Talk a little bit of coaching news and off-season upcoming. How's it going, Mike?
3: It's going pretty well. It's been a little messy 36 hours here in Portland, but uh hasn't really hasn't bogged me down too much.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, it's been it's been an eventful last several days really in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, going back to Dame uh, Damien Lillard's 55 point double overtime game last Wednesday with just uh, just an insane performance, one of the best playoff performances in recent memory. And then, you know, that uh, obviously that game's still not ending up the way that Portland wanted it. And then a crazy, you know, Friday into the weekend. So I I mostly I guess uh, I think maybe part of your answer will include Damian Lillard. I want to talk about, you know, start by talking about the Terry Stotts news that that uh, Stotts and the team are parting ways after nine seasons. Um, And it I mean, were you surprised by the news at all? Somebody that covers the team? It, it seemed, you know, post uh, them exiting the playoffs last week that you know, Stotts was kind of non-committal, but at the same time, like, hey, I'm under contract. So did the news that they're parting ways surprise you at all?
3: No, this was inevitable. Um, this has been the way it was going to go for months and months and months. Uh Uh, there'd been some, some national reporting and and from a couple different outlets that if Stotts didn't go on a relatively deep playoff run, that it was probably curtains for him. Um, it was, you could just tell the vibes that he was from, you know, being around the team on on a regular basis for me that, that he knew that this was a rocky season and not what they wanted. Um, you know, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the, in the league pretty much all year, uh, it's just they they had championship aspirations and they turned out to be a pretty good team. And when and expectations don't align, um, that that's what happens. Uh, Terry Stotts was a really good coach. He won 402 games in Portland. That's the second winningest coach uh, in history of of the franchise. Uh, he made eight consecutive playoff runs in his nine seasons. Like this is those are the marks of pretty successful franchises. Ben, you're pretty familiar with the team that would kill for uh, eight consecutive playoff runs. That's um, just hasn't happened in some other markets. But this 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 is where, it, it just, this is the way it had to go. Um, and the argument for getting a new coach is that you maybe need fresh eyes, is that Stotts has run its course with this group and you need um, a fresh eyes and a fresh perspective to maximize what they have.
1: Yeah, well, it, it's true. I mean, I think um, I would have said, I would still say Terry Stotts is one of the better coaches in the league because of the success. I mean, everybody thought that Portland, maybe not everybody, but many people thought Portland after losing LaMarcus Aldridge would hit the reset button. And they didn't really do that at all. Um, and so I think he's long been thought of as one of the better coaches, but I definitely understand the the uh, the fresh eyes thing. Um, so the, the early name, and this was uh, Damian Lillard's doing mostly, I mean, he was going to be rumored to to every coaching rumor is going to involve Jason Kidd. It seems like, but Lillard made it known that he would be interested in Jason Kidd coaching the team. Over the weekend, we found out that uh, Kidd is apparently removing himself from consideration. Uh, and uh, other than that, I mean, I guess first of all, any thoughts on the Jason Kidd thing and Lillard being really uh, forthcoming with that? And, and then also, are there any other names that are emerging as potential candidates, or is it kind of the typical the same names we've seen with Boston or Orlando and other other vacancies?
3: One of the names in Orlando is Terry Stotts, so it won't be that one. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think what what Damian Lillard did is relatively unprecedented in the history of the NBA. Um, you don't, you do not really see uh, within four hours of a coaching search, and even less. Um, like I talked about the timeline today on Locked On Blazers, available wherever you get podcasts, uh, but. Woj's report, Andrew Wojnowski's report that Stotts was gone came out at 8 p.m. So that's like when this sort of team started to make it public and like like that. And within 30, within 90 minutes, excuse me, by 9:30 p.m. Uh, my time out here in Portland, Damian Lillard had gone on the record saying Jason Kidd is my guy. I don't think in the player empowerment era we've ever seen anyone do that. Um, there's been co- there's been times where uh, people will promote like an interim coach, say you know he's he was good for us these couple three months, let's stick with him and stuff like that. But someone not on the roster currently employed by another team a star player um mentioning that a star player going against a, a there was a list put out by Adrian Wojnarowski it did not cl- include Jason Kidd and Dame goes on the record saying he wants Jason Kidd that's that is, seems to be going in direct opposition to what the maybe the front office wanted that that to me is a little dicey um a little messy uh since uh, like you said Jason Kidd has since removed his name and sounds like the Blazers are going to roll with the um roll with a candidate the candidates of Chauncey Billups Jeff Van Gundy, Mike D'Antoni, and Juwan Howard seem to be the short list. Uh, Reportedly, they'll conduct like a full coaching search, but I think it's safe to say those are the four names they're going to strongly consider, and anyone else outside of that list would be a pretty big upset. But um, um, like I said at the top, a messy 36 hours here in Portland.
1: Yeah. And, and in terms of, so, I I mean, Lillard obviously is under contract for, I think, three more years and, and he has, he's on record as saying that he wants to stay in Portland. Similarities to the situation in Minnesota. Of course, I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves and Towns is also under contract for three years and also says he wants to be in Minnesota. Not the same because Portland goes to the playoffs every year and Minnesota doesn't. But um, I mean, there's no indication at this point that Lillard is planning on forcing his way out this offseason, right? It probably a lot of it has to do with how the coaching search plays out. And, um, you know, there's no I mean, there's there's obvious obviously this like is Lillard, you know, is he is he not content, et cetera. But that doesn't seem to be a real a real thing at any point. at any, or It won't be this offseason season most likely, right?
3: You know, the thing with Damon Lord is that loyalty is like such a huge part of it. His brand. Uh, he he gives countless interviews. Uh, you know, I think I wrote about this when I was covering the team in like 2016. Was you know, Dame is like sort of loyalty as his defining trait, and seemingly that story gets written um, another version of that with new details about how he continues to be insanely loyal to the people from his from his past and his his family and his camp, et cetera, et cetera. Like always. So I I I think there's reason to believe that he wants to stick around in Portland, but I also think for the first time, and uh, I talked a little bit about this on my podcast, Locked On Blazers, is that there's there are there's reason to believe that he might be, um, that this is the first time in his career in his decade in Portland that, that, that he could be considering what, what else is out there. Uh, I think the sort of clashing immediately with sort of public reports about who, who he wanted as head coach is maybe the first signs of his frustration. Um, you know, there were reports from larger media outlets that teams were, quote, monitoring, I believe this is Shams Trani and the Athletic, monitoring the situation. Uh, I've heard the same thing from from one other NBA source. Not like that that a trade is imminent, but, but but that for the first time, like other teams think like, hey, maybe maybe this could, you know, maybe we could um, convince them to sort of pry him away. He's under contract for a long time. Like I said, loyalty is a big part of his brand. I think getting this right is is incredibly important, like getting the coaching search right to his preferences and, and a team that can take the next step um, you know, he's James held up his end of the bargain. He's been really, really good. He's one of the top 10 players in the NBA. Uh, it's, it's kind of the onus is on the franchise to prove that they can, they can do the same. And that starts with hiring the right coach.
1: Yeah. Trust me. I'm, uh, Timberwolves fans are very familiar with, uh, other teams monitoring the market or the situation <laughs> related to star players. Uh, that's, uh, that's exactly what we've been hearing for like three years now at Towns. Um, okay. So, I mean, last off season for the Blazers, I mean, they, you know, acquire Ennis Canner. they signed Derek Jones Jr. Who apparently the Timberwolves were his runner up uh, team in the off season. And then by the end of the season, they're both, you know, on the fringes of the rotation in Canner's case and basically out of the rotation in Derek Jones case, they acquired Norman Powell. So, and, and I don't know how much of that is, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, both Powell and Jones have player options and, with stats out of the picture, maybe they come back. Um, but I would, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, in my mind, if the roster construction and some of those acquisitions not working out, or at least not being used the way that, that those players thought they would be used, um, probably could cause some angst for Lillard. Um, what in terms of CJ McCollum, it, it would seem like he's the player who they would be, you know, be trading if they were going to try and acquire, uh, you know, another star to play with Lillard type of a thing. Um, do you, what do you what do you think the odds are? This is obviously a loaded question, but what are what are the odds that CJ McCollum has dealt this offseason?
3: The odds that they try to deal him, extremely high. The odds that they can successfully trade him seem relatively low to me. He's due a hundred million dollars over the next three seasons, uh, including thirty million dollars this year. And the Blazers have really, really um defined parameters for what they would need in a CJ McCollum deal like they need to be they need a player who can be good now who's not a center and is pretty good on defense uh th- that's a that's a relatively shallow list um does trading CJ for someone like Kristaps Porzingis just to throw a name out there that would work money wise does that get you closer to a championship or does that just make you a different shape of not very good team or you know decent team whatever they are now uh i CJ is obviously the move, right? Like you trade your second best player to get a a different second best player and something that fits better with someone that fits better alongside Dame that isn't six foot three and not very good on defense. But doing that um, is relatively hard. Could you trade CJ for maybe some spare parts and hope that you can cobble together the sort of spare parts around Dame and have have a better team sure but i don't know that there is an obvious trade out there or a clear trade out there as we stand here today that makes the blazers that you could flip for cj and make make this team like a championship contender everyone knows what they're after they need a big wing who can play a little defense and can score um guess what the entire nba is after that type of player so um a a lot if that if that type of person becomes available uh you know depending on what happens in philly and and, and with the los angeles clippers the blazers will not be the only suitors out there and i'm not sure cj at his age and his price point is exactly the chip that other teams want
1: yeah i would imagine the uh the uh the price tag the the 30 million plus uh per year is probably going to be uh, the most prohibitive thing when it comes to trying to deal him, um, you know, given his age and everything else, too. Um, all right. Last question. And I feel like I have to ask this since I am the Lockdown Wolves host and you are the Lockdown Blazers host. Um, the, the Stephen A. Smith thing from Thursday or Friday last week related to uh, somebody telling him that Towns would fit nicely in Portland, I think, was basically what it was. Um, I mean... This isn't in my mind, uh, this is this could be a short uh, a short answer. This shouldn't be a conversation because uh the Timberwolves aren't gonna do this unless they get multiple first-round picks plus McCollum back, and the Blazers aren't gonna do it f- for that, most likely. And the Blazers aren't gonna trade Damian Lillard for Carl Pitty Town. So this is pretty much a, a non-story, right?
3: The Wolves don't want C.G. McCollum. Nothing right. about what the Wolves are doing suggests that they want C.G. McCollum. Right. What, like, why the hell do they why do they want a little guard? Um, to get rid of, of Towns and end up with a little guard to play alongside D'Angelo Russell and uh, Am- Anthony Edwards. What, right. what the hell? Um, it doesn't make any sense from their standpoint. Uh, financially, it's really hard to do. What I'll say is this. Would Carl anthony Towns fit nicely next to Damian Lillard? Yes. Yes, he would. Do it on 2K.
1: There you go. I, I mean, and thank you for saying that because I'm, I'm going to basically say a version of that on Locked uh, on Lockdown Wolves on on Monday as well. Uh, that, yeah, uh, McCollum is is a good player. He doesn't fit what the Timberwolves are trying to do. And, and you know, trading D'Angelo Russell at that point would be a must. And that's not going to be easy to do. Hey, it just doesn't make sense. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, all right, that's all I have. I appreciate you joining me, Mike, um, and uh, have a good one.
3: All right. Thanks for having me, Ben.
1: All right, coming up next is Philip Rossman Reich from Locked on Magic. First, though, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all of the action at bet online, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB. NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action before the next pitch. Head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs through the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline your online sportsbook experts. All right, with me now is Philip Rossman-Reich from the Locked on Magic podcast. How's it going, Philip? It's going good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, so obviously the the, the Magic made a, a decision regarding the head coaching spot this weekend. And I, I want to get into a little bit the decision to part ways with Steve, Steve Clifford, uh, what your thoughts are on that move, and then just kind of preview the offseason a little bit. So um, I guess, first of all, did you did you see the Steve Clifford move coming? Was this something that was kind of the writing was on the wall, or was it kind of out of left field? Uh,
0: you know, it wasn't completely out of left field, but I, I didn't expect it to happen. I mean, I, I felt like Steve Clifford was still from a mat, from the Magic's perspective, still the right coach for this team. I mean, when you look at you look at his track record both in Charlotte and in Orlando. He's done a really good job, kind of molding kind of young or young veteran teams who hadn't experienced a lot of winning and getting them at least to a level where they can compete and make the playoffs. I mean, the turnaround that he did in Charlotte. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people kind of recognize that the work that it took to take a team that was, you know, a nine-win team two seasons before he got there, a 25-win team, I think, the year before he got there, and turn them into a perennial playoff contender. I mean, not, we're not talking about championships here. We're talking about just making the playoffs, which for that organization was a big step. And when he arrived in Orlando, the Magic hadn't made the playoffs for six Six years, uh, six years before then, and it really struggled even to win thirty games. And so he brought a, a foundation, and I always tell people like Clifford is a really good foundation-building coach. He does a really good job just kind of teaching the basics of what you have to do every single night to win. Um, and he delivered that in Orlando. And I thought even with the young team that the Magic have, he would have been a really, really good coach for them. But obviously, you know, uh, Jeff Waltman, uh, the Magic's president of basketball operations, spoke on Saturday. Uh, it, it became pretty clear from his convert from his discussion with the media that you know Steve Clifford just wasn't really interested in going into kind of the long rebuild that the Magic might be heading into right now with so many young players he wants a team that he believes can make the playoffs pretty quickly and the Magic might be thinking a little bit longer term with some of the young talent they have and so as Waltman put it the the Clifford's goals and the Magic's goals no longer aligned
1: yeah and and Clifford i mean Two playoff appearances in three years, uh, above 500 in his first season, and that was coming off of uh, multiple, as you alluded to, six six straight non playoff seasons. His first season, they went 42 and 40, um, and then still made the playoffs below 500 last year. And it seemed like the team could still be on the upswing. Obviously, the Jonathan Isaac injury uh, in the bubble last year, and, and things kind of uh, didn't align the Magic's way early the season. I don't need to tell you that. Um, but uh, in terms of I guess next steps, um, it's, it's really early in the process and, uh, but are there any early names that are emerging as candidates or is it kind of the same list of candidates we're seeing in Boston and, and, uh, and, and Portland and other places?
0: Yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot of the same names that you're seeing thrown around everywhere. Um, you know, the only name that's been formally attached to the magic job is Terry Stotts, um, you know, Mark Stein of the New York times. And I think Chris Haynes of, uh, on, on Turner on TNT yesterday or Sunday or Saturday, excuse me. Um, Uh, confirmed that the Magic had some interest in Terry Stotts. The Magic actually... We're kind of monitoring the Terry Stock situation uh, in 2018 when they hired before they hired Steve Clifford when when it looked like Portland might fi- might let him go too. So that's definitely a name that I think the Magic will have on their radar. He's obviously on the radar for a lot of different jobs as well. Um, fans are clamoring to go after Penny Hardaway, a former Magic legend who's now the head coach at Memphis. Uh, I'm not convinced that he's quite the guy. He's quite ready for an NBA head coaching job. I'd like to see him win a little bit more at the college level. It's not that I don't think he'll ever be uh, an NBA level head coach, but Um, You know, he's still very, very young as a head coach uh, in sort of more organized basketball outside of the AAU world. Um, And he's done some good things at Memphis recruiting wise, he won the NIT last year, but they obviously, I think have NCAA tournament talent and they haven't quite delivered some a little as much as fans are clamoring for a guy for kind of a nostalgia pick like Penny. um, I don't think he's quite ready. But you know, you're gonna see a lot of the same names I think interview for the magic, uh, if I'm not mistaken. David Vanderpool, the former uh, Portland and Minnesota assistant coach, um, interviewed with the Magic back in 2018 as well before they hired Clifford too. Um, so you'll probably see a lot of the same names that interviewed for the Magic three years ago uh, get another round of interviews this time as well as, as they are probably throughout the entire league.
1: Yeah. And the Magic roster is in a really interesting spot because as, as you mentioned, they're, uh, in in the process of starting really, I guess, another rebuild. And, and as the host of the Lockdown Wolves podcast, I'm quite familiar with, with the re-rebuilding. Um, and it, I mean, this year the Magic have tons of draft capital. They've got, uh, probably the most of any team with, with two, uh, likely, or or I guess, yeah, two, two high lottery picks and a, a good pick in the early second round. Um, in terms of the roster, I mean obviously Markel Fultz signed in the extension before last year and then had the injury. Jonathan Isaac will be coming back. Uh Vucevic was traded in season. Um what do you think it's it's obviously very early. We're not even officially to the 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 true off season yet. Um, but but what do you think is is kind of the most likely kind of big outside of of drafting, you know, uh one or two players high in the lottery. What, what's a big move that you could see coming this offseason? season? Um, there will be some cap space with Otto Porter Jr. coming off the books. And, and, um, you know, I, I think a couple of other players probably coming off the books as well. Uh, what would you expect this team to do to try and support the Isaac and Fultz uh, core?
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think one thing that we could see happen is um certainly the Magic are gonna get the, the draft pick. I mean I think the biggest move the Magic make this this offseason is gonna be what happens on draft night. You know, they they have uh, the third the third worst record in the league, so they'll have the top odds to win the lottery. Um they've got uh, I think it's pretty much a four and five chance of acquiring Chicago's pick, which will be which is I think a two and three chance of being eighth or ninth in the draft. So they'll have two top ten picks to add to the roster. Um, but this is already a pretty full roster and, and a lot of young guys at that. So you know, the biggest move that I think the Magic might make is they might look to consolidate a few players. It wouldn't surprise me if they shop Terrence Ross around. Um, he's kind of the, the last like veteran player from the, from those, those Steve Clifford teams of 2019 and 2020 that's still around on, on the with this group. And and while I think the magic do need a veteran, um, you know, I think they could get a lot, they could still get something for Ross or so, you know, kind of spin some assets forward for Ross just to clear up some roster space. I mean, you look at the roster, they've got so many young guys. It's hard to find where veterans fit in, like Gary Harris, like even Michael Carter Williams, who might may or may not stay around now that Steve Clifford's gone. Um there it's kind of hard to figure out like someone someone one of these young players isn't gonna be in the rotation, it feels like. Um the other tool that I think the Magic might use and, and one that I, I I half expect them to use at some point, um in the Evan Fournier trade, they acquired a $17 million trade exception. Um and so I think that the Magic might be willing to kind of rent their cap space, whether it's for this year or for the or for next summer, honestly. Um as as I think this team's still rebuilding, they're probably not gonna be a heavy free agent team yet. It would not surprise me if they look to add a veteran player who can kind of slide into their starting lineup but not take too much away uh, from, from some of the, those young players um, using that, that trade exception that they have. So they have, they have some tools to get, to get better, but I think right now the Magic are just trying to collect talent and kind of figure out, figure out what, who they want to keep and how they want to move forward.
1: Okay. Um, Last question for you. Along those lines, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. joined the team uh, as part of the Vucevic trade. Do you think he's a long-term fit next to Jonathan Isaac, or do you think that uh, he's a player that could be flipped as they package assets this offseason and look to acquire maybe future draft picks or or other young players?
0: I mean, I think obviously, uh, you know, Wendell Carter is coming to the end of his rookie contract. So he'll be a a restricted free agent at the end of next season. I, I don't expect the Magic to give him an extension. I expect them to let him hit restricted free agency. And so I think that's a big question. That's probably going to be one of the big questions the Magic faced this year is, is Wendell Carter a piece of the puzzle? Is he a guy that the Magic planned to build around? Um, he showed some great defensive acumen in his time in Orlando. Uh, and, and, but, you know, again, we saw, I think, some of the inconsistencies that, that plagued him in Chicago and kind of kept him in and out of the rotation. And the fact that we're kind of sitting here, or I, at least I'm kind of sitting here thinking, I'm not sure if this is the guy that, that kind of tells you everything you need to know. Um, You know, from what I saw from Wendell Carter, I'm not sure he can be the starting center on a winning team. I think he could be a great backup backup five and a spot starter. But if the Magic view Evan Mobley, for instance, as one of the guys that they want in the draft or the guy that's best on their board, it would not surprise me if the Magic pick him and, start and play him over Wendell Carter at some point this season. And that doesn't even get into Mo Bamba, who, you know, is still kicking around too, also on the last year of his contract. So the Magic definitely have some young guys that they got to make some decisions on soon. And obviously they can't pay everybody and they can't keep everybody. And it would not surprise me if Carter is one of those guys that hits the trade market again, when the trade deadline
1: comes around. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out with all the young, young big men in Orlando. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining me, Philip. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll obviously keep an eye on the coaching search in Orlando.
0: Yep. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: All right. That'll do it on the lockdown NBA podcast today. A reminder, you can listen to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and, of course, the all-new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Again, I'm Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves. You can follow Locked on Wolves at Wolves. Don't forget the T on Twitter, myself at at B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. And of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast, all things Minnesota Timberwolves, anywhere you get podcasts just like this show. Also, if you're not familiar with Lockdown Today, you need to be following the Lockdown Today podcast. That's a daily show uh, here on the Lockdown Network. Today on the Lockdown Today podcast, how high is the Titans ceiling? The Tennessee Titans with Julio Jones. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Lockdown Today podcast. Follow Lockdown Today on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all we have for you today. Have a fantastic Monday. We'll see you back on Lockdown NBA on Tuesday.